morning. Boy, listening to Karen today, I want to volunteer. I mean, it's very motivating, you know. It's uh, way to go, Karen. Thank you. I don't know about that Christmas tree, though. Really, just last week. Wow. That's got to be a record. So. All right. Well, uh, those of us on our 365 challenge, reading through the Bible, making our goal to read it every day, so God can um, really give input into our life, guide us, strengthen us and on a daily basis. As if you've been a part of this, uh, this week marks a turning point as we, we step out of, uh, in fact, tomorrow's the last day in, uh, in the Torah, in our reading, the book of Deuteronomy. We step out of the Torah, which is the first five books in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I mean, I just say that, and I go like, Man, if you've done it, if you're tracking with us, way to go. Proud, proud of you for, um, for doing it. But the good news is, if, uh, if you are a guest today, you're first time with us, and uh, you'd like to get on board with doing it, not too late, or if you've like, been holding back and going, ah, I'm not so sure I want to do it, I, I, this, is like, this Tuesday is a great time to get on board with, uh, with this journey we're on, because we're... we're Finishing with Deuteronomy, we're on Tuesday morning, or whenever you do it, m mine is in the morning, uh, we begin with the book of, of Joshua. And uh, all you have to do is go online, you find everything you need to uh, know how to plug into this and do it. Uh, most important, the reading plan, or you can stop in the back, pick it up at Connection Corner, and uh, ask any questions that you have of, of somebody there, and they'll answer those questions those questions for you. Like Karen said, we're um, starting this new series. It's just a short one called The Portraits, Portraits of Faith. And we're looking at uh, three different individuals. Joshua from the book of Joshua, which is what I'm going to do this morning. And then uh, Gideon uh, from the book of Judges. Jeff's going to uh, uh, talk about that next Sunday. And then Ruth from the book of Ruth. And Brad's going to be the one who's going to unpack uh, that book for us and, and Ruth's story. Uh, Joshua, if you realize it, but became a leader of Israel at a defining time in its history. You all know what defining, defining times are, defining moments, right? You're, you're one way, and then you have this moment, this defining time in your life, and you come out of it, and you're a different person. And it could be anything that, that, that could be this moment or this time. It could be a a uh, difficult decision you, you were working yourself up to make. You make that decision, and you really are. You, you come out of it a different person, or you, you go through a really hard, difficult time in your life, and, and you come out of it, and, 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 you're, and you're a different person. Uh, I've heard it said so many times, people have gone on, on our missions trips. They would say, man, you know, I did that, and I'll never be the same again. It had, it had that kind of an impact on my life. I, I've had conversations that have impacted me, that have changed me. There's been books that I've read that by the time I finished reading that book, it, it, it was so powerful in my life. I, it's like it, it affected the course of my life in a, in a significant way. You know, whatever it is, that you have one of those def defining times in your life and, and you're really never, never the same again. Uh, people can have defining times, individuals can, and nations can. I've, 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 
I don't know what you think of what's going on with our election. I shouldn't even bring it up. Okay, I won't even bring it up. But uh, it's going to be a defining time, uh, I predict, in the history of our nation. In fact, I think every election that we have in its own way is a, is a defining time. Joshua is now the leader. Moses has died. And the people of Israel are, are finally going to be able to do what they've been waiting hundreds of years to do. And that is to go in and conquer the, the land of Canaan. And, I mean, this is just something they've been waiting forever. They're poised, they're ready, and they're, they're about to take down the first city, the city of Jericho. And Joshua has this defining moment in his life. And it's one, it's one that not only prepares him to lead them into this first battle, but it really prepares him for the rest of his life to lead the people of Israel as well as he possibly, as well as he possibly can. And what I'd like us to see this morning is that, that the defining moment that Joshua had is one that is absolutely, I mean, it's just so key for every one of us to have in our own lives because one of the things that I believe is that, that every one of us in our own right, in, in our own circumstances in our life, are a leader. It could be at home, it could be in the workplace, it, it could be on a sports team, it could be, it could be with a group of friends. I mean, there, there's just all different kinds of, of opportunities that you and I have to be the person to step up and lead, to be the person who, because of, of, of what we say, because of what we do, because of the decisions and choices that we make for, for our own lives, we can have an impact on the lives of those around us, okay? So what we're talking about really has application for every single one of us this morning. Uh, the finding moment that Joshua had his one where he found himself in the presence of God himself. And in that moment, that defining moment, he, he understood what God's holiness meant for his own life. He, he understood that it wasn't about God serving him. It was the very opposite. It was that his life was all about serving God. And doing this in a particular way where he was totally committed to doing what's right, and not only doing what's right, but doing it for the right, for the right reason, all right? So if you're on our, our, our uh, 365 challenge in two days, you're going to begin reading the book of Joshua. And one of the things that I, I think that we're trying to do through this whole series, I, I don't think, I know we are, is help all of us get a big picture view of, of every book of Scripture that we're reading. So we can, we can come away and we can say, okay, what is the number one thing that I want to remember about this book? And I would say to you this morning that the number one thing that you don't want to miss about the book of Joshua is that it's all about the holiness of God. That's really what it is, all about the holiness of God. Now, uh, I... Let me just say it this way. Uh, understand the incomparable, incomparable, unequaled perfection of God, and it's a game changer. 
It'll change, it, it'll change absolutely everything about your life. It'll, it'll change your, your attitude toward life, your perspective of life. It'll change how you think, what you say, and what you do. The, the holiness of God will become like a, a lens through which to see all of your life, okay? All of your life. The lens to see all of your life. Now, and, and, and I mean that's true for you as a, for you as a parent, it's true for you as a husband or it's true for you as a wife. It's true for you at work and in how you relate to the people around you. It's true for you if you're a student. It's true for you if you're part of a, if you're part of a sports team, any kind of a team. Uh, it, it's true for you as in your relationship with your friends, okay? The holiness of God should be for each one of us a lens through which we look to see all of life. It should guide us in all of life. So let's, let's look at these verses. And I, I got to tell you, I, I thought I was going to preach one thing when I made the plan for this series, uh, Portraits. And, and then, so I had it all written down. I had my little synopsis for this book, uh, the book of Joshua, uh, and, and what I was going to preach on this particular Sunday. And then I got into it, and God just stopped me before I even got to the sixth chapter. Uh, which is what I thought I was going to preach on, all of the sixth chapter. God stopped me in the last three verses of chapter 5. So let, let's look at these verses, and then we'll, we'll talk about them. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us, or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, I, I think this is one of those... Um, a set of verses, one of those passages in Scripture, you read it, and it's so mysterious, it's, it's so puzzling, it's so hard to understand that the temptation is to, to, to just skim right past and go right on to the, to, the, to the verses that follow. It's like it's more than you can figure out, so you just don't even, you don't even try uh, to do that. And if you do, it's, one of the, it's an example of one of those times where you, you, it's very likely you're going to miss what's most important to understand, uh, really, and what I believe in, in the whole book of, of Joshua. Okay, So now, here's the deal. Here's Joshua outside the city of Jericho. And we're not told, but I'm guessing he's there alone. He's all by himself. And, and, and he's preparing himself. He's, he's thinking through his strategy for winning this first battle. And just like it was with our new Nebraska coach last year, as it is with any new leader, there's a lot riding on, on this first battle, the battle with Jericho. Okay, and this was this was especially true, I think, for Joshua, because everybody everybody around him knew his story. They knew that 40 years ago, 
He was one of 12 men that was sent by Moses into the land of Canaan to spy it out. They knew that, that 10 of those spies came back saying, there is absolutely no way that we can do this. And Joshua, along with one other man, said, yeah, we can. By the power of God, we can do it. We can go in and we can conquer that land. Everybody knew that. Everybody also knew that that whole generation, Joshua's whole generation died in those 40 years in the wilderness. And so they're all looking at Joshua and they're looking at Caleb. You've got these two old guys and then you've got, you've got everybody else. All, all of the children of all of their friends. So I, remember, I remember talking with my dad when my dad was uh, uh, over 80 years old at his house and he, he said to me, you know, Steve, all, all of my friends, they're no longer living. I mean, all my, all my, you know, my, my relatives, so many of my generation gone. He said, I, you know, I'm, really, I'm, I'm ready to go, you know. And I, I, would, I would say Joshua's like, oh, no, I'm not going yet, you know. God, you can't take me yet because I'm going into, I'm going into the land of Canaan. So I think this was, this was an exciting time for Joshua. This was a challenging time time for Joshua. And, and as I think about this, I, I wondered what was going through his mind as he was standing there looking at the city of Jericho. And I'm guessing one of the things was like, now's the time. Uh, Forty years ago, I said it could be done, and now I've got all these people watching me, and so, boy, I, you know, it better happen, all right? It better happen. I think I, whatever it is that he's thinking, he's deep in thought, deep in thought, and he suddenly realizes that he's not alone, that somebody else is there. Has anybody else ever had that experience where you, you think you're all by yourself, you know, and you're, 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 you're thinking about something, you're deep in thought, and, and all of a sudden you realize that, man, there's somebody right behind me. Anybody, anybody ever, it it's kind of freaks you out, doesn't it? I mean, makes a hair stand on the back of your neck. This morning I had this flashback. You know, it's funny the things you remember at a certain point. I was actually in the shower. I have a lot of flashbacks in the shower, you know. But but uh, um, not really. Uh, but it, I I um I I remember this time, and I asked Becky after. I said, "When did this happen?" She said, "I don't know." She said, "But I remember it. I I remember you telling me about it." She said, "But I don't think I was there." And it was like I was, I was with somebody. I, was, I know I was with a, a, a group of people. And um, we were, for some reason, we were staying at a house that we had never been at before. And it was out in the country. Becky thinks it was like at some conference that I went to in Nebraska. And we were staying at somebody's place. And, but they weren't home, okay? And so they let us stay at their house. So we drive into their driveway. It's, it's dark. It was out in the country. We make our way up to the front of the house. I mean, I just think I just remember this happening. I just wish it knew where it was. And, and, and yeah, really. And, and, and I was in the lead. I had the key, so I unlocked the door. And then I reach inside to try to find the light to this, you know, to the inside of the house. So I'm fumbling around for the light switch. And I, and I find it, and I turn it on without realizing that, and, and I had stepped inside the house, and I didn't realize, but right in front of me, I mean, like, just there, was a mirror. 
this big, and so I was, I was like looking at myself, and I was like just, I mean, I, if there was ever a time when you thought you are going to wet your pants, you know, <laughs> that was one of those moments, all right? That's what happened to Joshua. He's deep in thought, and, and, and in, in this moment, he sees this man standing in front of him with a sword drawn. And, and Joshua's a military man, and so anytime he sees somebody with a, a sword drawn, he, he makes the assumption, man, this guy's going to get me. So he, he asks him the, the right question. He didn't back off. Joshua said, are you for us, or are you for our enemies? And he replied, neither. In fact, in Hebrew, the, the literal word there is the word no. No, I'm not for you. No, I'm not for your enemies. Really what he was saying is, Joshua, you're asking the wrong question. He said, I am commander of the Lord's army. It's not, it's not, it's not a, a, a matter of whether or not I'm for you or I'm on your side, Joshua. The question to really ask, you need to think about is, are you on my side? Are you on my side? And Joshua does what Joshua should do. He, he falls face down on the ground. I mean, he's, just, he's on the ground. And in our English Bible, the scripture I just read said he, he was on the ground in, in reverence. Again, the Hebrew word there is a, one of the words in Hebrew for worshiping. He was on the ground worshiping this, this person. Now, what's so interesting and significant about this is that at any time in the Old Testament when an angel of God appears to an Old Testament character and that person falls down to worship that angel, the angel right away goes, no, hold on, don't worship me. I'm, 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 I'm not God. But this man didn't do that. He didn't stop Joshua from worshiping him. He he allowed Joshua to worship him. And because of this, biblical scholars believe that, that this was a, what, what would be called a pre-incarnate appearance of, of Jesus Christ. The Son of God himself was standing there in front of, in front of Joshua. Imagine what that would be like. And Joshua then does the next right thing to do. He, he asked him this question. And he said this, what message does, and, and he said it the right way. I mean, Joshua got it, who was in front of him. He said, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And God replies and said to him, take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy. You know of any other place or any other person who ever had that happened to them? Anybody? Burning bush and Moses, right? When God called to Moses out of this burning bush that he said to, to go to Egypt and rescue the people of the Israelites from, from slavery. Now I thought about that a lot. That whole thing and what God said in both of those situations. That, you know, there, there, there's a lot that could be said that's true about God. All the different attributes of God. God's infinite in his power and his wisdom. That, 
that, that God is gracious, that, that God's sovereign over, over all of creation, that God's merciful, that God's kind, that God's patient. There's so many things that can be said about God that's true. But almost always, the first thing that's emphasized about God is his holiness. God's a holy God. God is incomparable, unequaled in his perfection. That's what put Joshua on his face in worship. That's, that's what caused Joshua to understand who he truly is, that, that he's a servant of, of Almighty God. It, it just changed everything for Joshua. When I was a child, I understood the gospel. I mean, I really at a very young age. I understood because my parents had had talked to me about it. My, my, I heard it in our church. I mean, I heard it over and over again. I, I understood that, that God, God sent his son, his love, sent his son to be my savior. And I understood that I was a sinner. And I understood that I could have God's forgiveness by putting my trust in Jesus. And so when I was a, when I was a nine-year-old kid, I stayed after one Sunday morning in a children's class that I was a part of as a fourth grader. And, and I asked to talk with with my teacher, and I remember just everybody else left, and I was there alone, and we had this conversation, and I told her what I wanted to do, and, and I prayed that day and asked Jesus in, into my life to be my Savior. That was a defining moment for me. And then during my years in high school and my first years in college, something happened to me. I began to re realize that God's claim on my life was enormous, enormous, not because I was so good or, or unique or special or, you know, a cut above everybody else, not that at all. It, it was because God is so holy that God had an enormous claim on my life. I began to understand that. I, be, I began to understand that, that God needed to be way more than, than simply the helper of my life because really in a certain sense I had this Childlike faith in God, you know. Here's what was happening to me. I was beginning to experience God's holiness. What was happening to me is what, what happened to Joshua. I mean, not literally, but, but inside of myself, I was falling down before God in worship. I, I was beginning to understand that, that God in, in his incomparable perfection really doesn't allow for any other rivals in my life, any other God in my life. I was beginning to understand that, that God in his unequaled perfection really, really would not allow for any impurities, any sin in my life, any compromise in my life. I was beginning to understand to live a holy life meant that I lived a life for God with an undivided heart, that I, I was totally committed to, to God as, as Lord of my life, that, that, it, that, that I, I needed to really pursue the absolute best for the glory of God. See, I was beginning to understand, as Joshua said it so that, well that day, that God is my Lord. Jesus is my, my Lord, Lord of my life. And I'm his servant, servant. 
Jonathan Edwards was a, a, a preacher, a Puritan, back in the, in the 17th century in colonial America. Just a powerful, powerful preacher. And I love how he said this. I just want to read this for you. He writes, it's possible out of selfish motives to be attracted to God's love. Or even his mercy because you know you need God's forgiveness. Or his power because God can handle things. It's possible to have very self-centered hearts and be attracted to God's love and his other attributes. Only if God, only if God has begun to change your life will you be attracted to his holiness. Because it's the most threatening of all of his attributes. Because it's the most demanding of all of his attributes. I love hearing uh, the stories. Oh, one more part. <laughs> you can read it. <laughs> it's also the one that will change your life the most if you come to grips with it. I'm sorry. It's the most important part. All right. Okay. You got that? All right. Let me get a drink here. I love hearing the stories of Brooksiders. We really get what it means to follow a holy God. I got an, an email from one of the guys in the church this week I'd like to read for you because I, it's just a perfect example of what we're talking about this morning. He writes, Steve, I'd like to share a story with you about how God has used 365 to speak to me and impact my life. I was recently promoted to lead our company, and six weeks into this new role, I found out that a, a significant income stream worth millions of dollars to our company would not be available to us unless I renewed an application that attested certain statements surrounding the program. Unfortunately, one of the statements was not true for our company, and we could not change things operationally to make it true. He writes, I knew not signing was the right thing to do, but the consequence of that decision weighed on me. There were a lot of ways I could, I could have rationalized signing it. I was at a crossroads, starting my new role as president. Was I going to be, he asked himself the question, he said, was I going to be a man of integrity who did the right thing even when it was hard? Or was I going to take the easy road and sign it to preserve the income for our company? Then he writes, this past week, reading in Deuteronomy, in chapter 16, verses where God instructs leaders. God said this in verse 19. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall, you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. This is, this is why I love journaling, okay? This is why I love being in God's word every day. And he writes, God's word spoke to me, and I was reminded that God's way is best. God is holy, and God expects me to conduct myself with integrity. I just needed to trust him. So I called a vendor and told him that we would not be able to participate because we could not honestly sign the application. And what I can only describe is God's hand working. The vendor said they would allow us to change the language of the application so that it was true for us. In fact, so they didn't have to do anything wrong. They didn't violate anything. 
said, in the end, we were able to participate in the program and preserve the income for our company and retain our integrity. God's faithful to us. So I thank God for speaking to me through his spirit and his word and protecting me from taking the easy way. God has used this to reinforce to me his faithfulness. And then he writes, when I face my next challenge, I will look back on this week and be reminded of God's faithfulness. So that's a defining moment we're talking about this today. Okay. Now, I want to just talk very quickly about another thing, and it's very much connected to this sermon. It's very much connected to what the book of Joshua is all about, and that's the holiness of God. In fact, um, what I'm going to talk about here, Tim, Tim Weeby, and you might be interested in plugging into this, take this, is going to do an institute class on March 30th that's going to answer the question, what's up with all the violence in the Old Testament? Okay? So I just want to talk about that for a moment to understand really kind of bottom lining it, what it's all about. And I would say this, it's all about the holiness of God. Okay? This is why the people in Jericho and every other city in Canaan would be defeated and destroyed because for hundreds of years they had defied a holy God, worshiping gods of their own making, evil gods reflecting their own wickedness. And God's time for judgment had come and God would use the Israelites to bring about that judgment. If you're on, if you're on this 365 challenge, you're going to, Finish reading the book of De Deuteronomy tomorrow. And in the ninth chapter, God tells the Israelites the reason why he's sending them, uh, giving them victory over the Canaanites. I just want to read this for, to you very quickly. God said, hear, O Israel, hear, Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dis dispossess nations greater and stronger than you with large cities that have walls up to the sky. That, that's kind of like what Joshua was looking at in the city of Jericho. He said, after the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. God said, don't say that. No, it's on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. I'm just going to say very bluntly, God was angry. God was furious. And I would say with good reason. In fact, I would say if God had not been angry, there's not a one of us would, who would want anything to do with God. Because here's why. The Canaanites were as evil as it gets. Their culture was grossly immoral. It was decadent at its roots. Every bit of its wickedness was connected to the gods that they worshipped. And I would say Worst of all, worst of everything else that they did that was so evil, they practiced the sacrifice of children, offering their children to a God they called Molech, a God of the underworld that, that I mean, it's just hideous. It was represented by, by this, this idol with the head of a bull and the body of a human being. And, and its belly was, was left like hollow with a fire burning in it. And these, these, these parents would, would bring their little infants, in fact, all the way up to four years of age is what historians tell us. 
bring their child to the priest, and the priest would take that child and place it and put it in the fire in the belly of that idol. And they would, the Canaanites would watch that child burn, burn. I mean, I mean archaeology tells us there were literally thousands of children who lost their lives this way. See, God, the Canaanites had lived this way for who knows how long. And God patiently postponed his judgment. But there had to be a limit. I, I would say, you and I, we'd question God's goodness and God's power and even God's existence if judgment never came. You know, I, I don't know... I, I don't know God's breaking point. But I can't imagine anything more evil than taking an innocent child and offering it as a sacrifice to this hideous idol, representing an evil God. If there was anything that would bring God's judgment, this would be it. And so I have no problem with what I, I read in the book of Joshua. I, I would have a problem if God didn't do something about it. See, there's no doubt. God's loving and God's gracious and God's forgiving. We, I mean, you see this throughout the pages of Scripture, but thankfully God is also holy, just. Yesterday when I was having my own time in Scripture and I, I just wrote this down, and I just want to read it for you. What makes God's grace so amazing is that God is a holy God who righteously judges our sin. Diminish this in any way, and you fail to understand how gracious and merciful God really is. Um. That's big stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Dumb word to use, stuff. It's not stuff. It's big. You know what? I, you might be here this morning and you'd say, oh, Steve, whoa, it's just like, that's overwhelming. It might be overwhelming for you because, in all honesty, you're saying, man, I, I am a sinner. And, man, up against the holy God, I don't have a chance. And I, I just want to tell you today, there was another defining moment in human history. In fact, there were two of them. One was the death of Jesus Christ. And the second one was his resurrection. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ died for your sin. The holy God himself took your sin on himself to be your savior. It's amazing. And so you can do what I did as a nine-year-old child. You, you can have this conversation with God right now in these next few moments. You can say, God, I'm a sinner. I know you're a holy God. I'm so grateful that your son Jesus died for me, and I want him to be my savior. That's simple. And God will hear your prayer. Well, we're going to share in communion now and um, ask our hosts if they'd come forward. And um, um, 
begin to distribute the cups for us with the bread and the, and the juice. And, and uh, when, you, when you get that, just remember to reach way down, take the two cups. And, and communion here is open for everybody. This is a, a time of celebration for all of us as we remember Christ's death for us. So love to have you join with us in doing that, okay?